Welcome to the ServiceNow Executive Circle UKNI podcast. Welcome to today's ServiceNow UK and Ireland podcast. I'm joined today by Gina Gill, the CDIO of Ministry of Justice. Welcome, Gina. Thank you. So today's podcast, the topic is on digital skills in the business world. But I thought we could start it on the digital strategy that Ministry of Justice has embarked on and obviously how you're looking for the skills you need to take the business on that journey. Can you tell us a little bit around that strategic framework that you're ongoing at the moment? Of course, yeah. So we launched our digital strategy for the MOJ about a year ago, um, and that strategy is made up of three strands. So some of it is about reducing the level of technical debt that we've got to make the organisation more flexible. The second strand is about using our data better to make decisions and to deliver better services. And then the third strand, and the most important one really, is, is about changing ways of working. So today, if you think about the way that we typically work across governments, typical being an important word there, is that policy people will design policy and then that will get pushed over the fence to operational colleagues to operationalise it and then somebody will come to digital and say can you put some technology around this please and that I mean, doesn't work and it means that we don't design services that really work for the users of our services so, so for the public that's the kind of really important strand and the most difficult strand of our strategy. Definitely it's not about just wrapping a bow around the package at the end of it it's having no. digital and technology at the heart of it creating that policy as you go along. Absolutely, and, and operational colleagues as well. And I think collaboration is the key word there. So bringing together all the different skill sets and many different skill sets together to collaborate, to actually design, fully design a service right at the start. So the heart is very much people, the internal people, yes. your stakeholders, but I guess equally citizens and how you're designing absolutely. services for, for, for consumers as well. Yeah, absolutely. We talk a lot about the fact that we need to design services in a user-centered way. And sometimes we do, but often we say that that's what we're doing. And really, we're not. Really, we're designing services based on sort of the way that we've always done things, but doing it a bit better, rather than scrapping our current ways of thinking about how we deliver a service and really speaking to people to understand what they really need and to build a service around that need. And are you seeing a blurring between the services you provide your teams, your colleagues internally, and the services you provide consumers are actually blurring? At the end of the day, they want the same experience. We want to have an app that we can flick through, that we can touch. So in a way, sometimes it doesn't really matter who you're designing the experience for, it's the same whether it's consumer or internal. So I think we should be. I don't think we're getting there at the pace that we I'd like to see. At the heart of what we're trying to do is to make people's lives easier. And so you know, simpler, faster, better is, is kind of our, our strap line of, of our strategy. And everybody wants to be able to do the things, particularly in terms of the services that we provide. Mostly people don't want to be using our services. And so in those cases, people really do want and need our services to be simple and fast and easy to use. And so that's important, as you say, not just for our external users, but also for colleagues. You know, people that are coming into the workplace to work for the MOJ today are used to living their lives on apps and are used to having very personalised services. And they don't get that when they walk through the MOJ door 
today and we need to fix that. And are you doing them in tangent or do you feel that maybe one goes before the other, sort of fix the internal and that will have a positive knock-on effect on the service that you provide consumers and citizens? So it's a mixture. In some cases we are providing services straight to end users. So in the prison space, for example, we are providing services for prisoners directly. And and I say providing services, there's a bit of technology, but actually there's a whole bunch of people around that that make that service work for prisoners. And then, for example, in probation, we are building new services for colleagues to be able to do their jobs differently, better. Brilliant. And obviously talking about simple, easier, faster, we can't not talk about things like AI technology and how that's going to evolve and change how we work, but also change how people do their jobs as well. Are you looking ahead at that kind of technology and and how you can implement it? Or is it kind of new, scary, not there yet? (laughs) So we do have some examples of where we're already using AI in particular services. What I don't have is, is a kind of an AI strategy. I don't have a plan for how we're going to use AI. So we're experimenting in particular services and have been doing for quite some time actually. But more broadly, I think that we need to, and we've started doing this, think about what is the impact of of AI on the roles that we have in the organisation today. How are those roles going to change? What new or different roles might exist in the future because of AI? I remember back in the day when technology was a new thing, it was, you know, and and we're going to, technology is going to replace all of our jobs and and lots of people are going to be out of work and it's going to be a disaster. And that hasn't happened. It's changed the roles that we have. And I think AI will will do the same. Exactly. Completely. And of course, the skills change and the skills you need to adapt to that kind of technology. So in terms of your digital strategy for 2025, what are the skills that you're looking for in in what you're recruiting and and how is the recruitment changing with those different skills that you need? Yeah, so we recruit a really wide range of skills. So in some cases, we're recruiting really technical people who've got experience developing in a particular language, for example. Actually, if you look at the volume of those roles, they're relatively small compared to the overall digital directorate. The majority of skills are more people-based skills, collaboration-based skills, design-type skills. It's the roles that can help us to work with people to understand their needs, to make sure the services look, feel, work the way that people need them to. So there's a lot of those types of skills. But I think underpinning all of it is the ability to work with people from lots of different backgrounds, lots of different experiences, and to collaborate well. So, I mean, you know, we talk a lot about multidisciplinary teams. We need people that can work as part of multidisciplinary teams mm. and can communicate well with each other. It's almost like a people-first strategy rather yeah. than a technology-first, actually. Absolutely. We probably all have the digital skills, we just don't know it, but mm-hmm. we can probably all build an app, some level, basics, yeah. if we needed to. Okay, fantastic. And obviously your own journey into the tech world, I'm sure people think, okay, well, maybe I don't need to be a coder to be a CDIO. What's your own journey been like getting to this point? So bizarrely, I actually was a coder, oh. um, although, but only briefly. So I, I was writing about this the other day, actually. When I was at school, computing studies was introduced when I was at school. So I think we were the first year at school to actually have computing studies as a subject and we had these machines called BBC micros that were very basic and you had to type commands to make them do anything and I was fascinated I was absolutely fascinated and then my brother and I got like a a Spectrum ZX for Christmas (laughs) and I played on that for hours and hours and hours and I was sort of hooked so off I went to university to study computer science and management science. I didn't really know what I'd signed up for, if I'm totally honest. But it was four years. 
About halfway through, I thought, I'm not really enjoying this. I don't know if I want to do it. But I thought, I've done two years. I'm not throwing that away. So I'm going to push on through. And my first job in London was as a developer. And I, I went to like a graduate assessment day. And halfway through, I pulled the HR director to one side. And I said, I don't think I'm the right person for this role. <laughs> and she said, why? And I said, because you're really looking for like developer skills. And I don't want to do that. I'm okay at it. There's people that can do that better than me. I think my skills are more around being able to communicate, actually, being able to understand technical concepts and communicate that to people that aren't technical. Anyway, she assured me that I would be able to use those skills. A year later, I found myself on this floor filled with developers. It was above Angel Tube Station and really big old fan floor, hundreds of people on this floor, five women hundreds of men and it was so silent you could hear a pin drop (laughs) so if you wanted to eat a packet of crisps with your lunch you could hear it all the way across the floor it was horrible (laughs) and I didn't like it like the people that I worked with the men that I worked with wouldn't look at me or say hello and I learned over time that it was because they were scared they didn't know how to communicate with me Mm. and I just didn't like it, so I left and I decided I didn't want anything to do with computers or IT and I wanted to go and do something different. So then I meandered through lots of different roles. None of them were hands-on development. All of them actually, looking back, interacted with technology in some way, shape or form. So whether that was recruiting people for a while, I was doing project management roles for a while, I was doing commercial like contracting roles for a while, but always in and around technology as it happened and kind of, you know, eventually find my way slowly back into into that world. And eventually find my, my love of technology and curiosity just for how things work and how the world is changing brought me back here again. That's amazing. That's so fascinating. <laughs> Even back then, you, you understood it was not just about the hard code. Sometimes it's about understanding how you can shape and use the technology to improve people's lives, employees' lives, citizens' lives. That's absolutely fascinating. But, I mean, obviously we've come a long way since then, but I can imagine there are still young girls who still think you know is that going to be a scary is that the right world for me what advice would you give would you give all young people looking to get into the world of tech and digital for me the thing that's fascinating about tech and digital isn't it's not the technology it is the impact that technology has on people and it's about how it changes our world so if you are fascinated about how the world around you is changing then i'd absolutely encourage you to think about technology digital as a role or as a part of an organization that you might want to work in you know how do people operate? How are people's lives being changed? Those are the things that I think are really important. That sense of curiosity around those things is more important than technical skills. Mm-hmm. And to understand, I guess, that there's a, a range of roles that obviously there is always going to be a need for coders and, and developers and things, but actually you can still be in tech and digital, but not have that coding role as well. There's a Absolutely, variety. absolutely. And over time, we already have... A, coding has changed over time quite a lot so it's not you know back in the day it was ones and zeros I mean that was very different to how you write codes today and in another 20 years time it will be different again and I think it's almost becoming I don't want to take away from people that have got some very specialist skill sets but I think that it is becoming easier to build apps to code and I think that that will continue over time and so that shouldn't be the thing that 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 stops you. So do you think your piece of advice to your younger self would be to have have stuck with it a bit longer or would you have changed anything? Do you know, that's an interesting question. If I had stuck with it, I don't think I'd be in this job. I think I'm in this job because I moved away and because I then did a whole bunch of 
different things, all of which, yes, were related to technology, but it was about how to deliver big, messy projects. It was about how to negotiate contracts with suppliers and work with suppliers. There are lots of skills that I learned and experience that I gained from having that kind of meandering career that if I had just stayed in the role that I was in and tried to work my way up an imaginary ladder, I don't think this is where I would have ended up. Well, that's absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much, Gina. This has been an absolute pleasure and I hope that people listening will be inspired by you and your story. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to the ServiceNow Executive Circle UK&I podcast. 